This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Philippians chapter 4 is where we find ourselves. For the sake of context, we're going to start in verse number 1. We're really focusing on verses 4 and 5 here today. Just to help you understand where we're at in this, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the church in a city called Philippi. Uh, This church is unique because it was a church that Paul had started himself. Uh, He pastored it for, best we can tell, about 18 months or so, and then moved on to plant other churches from there. And so he, he knows this church family really, really well. But here's the thing. He's been gone for a little bit over a decade, about 11 years or so. By the time he writes this letter, he's been gone. So a lot of people that he don't, doesn't know are at this church. He still has a lot of close relationships, as you'll see, uh, throughout this uh, letter that he's written to this church. But he writes them a letter just telling them, thank you. Thanks for being faithful to Jesus. Thank you for sticking with the gospel. It's a letter of joy. Uh, it's a letter of uh, encouragement. So many times when Paul writes letters to other churches, for example, the churches at Galatia or uh, the church at Corinth, they're scathing letters of rebuke to rebuking false teaching or uh, bad religious practices that are taking place there. This is not a rebuke at all. This is just a lot of joy and encouragement. We took a look at last week how in verses 2, the only slight words that we could use here would be the word exhortation of two ladies that weren't getting along in the church. He basically said, ladies, get your differences patched up. Everybody else, love them and encourage them, and we're going to move on for the sake of the gospel. And we find ourselves here in verses 4 and 5 today. In verse number 4, you can probably quote by memory if you look at it. But it's unique because Paul writes this letter to them, not sitting on a beach somewhere, not sitting in a a church building that he's helped uh, start, not sitting around a table with friends. He writes this letter from prison. He's been in prison for preaching the gospel. Uh, He did what Jesus told him to do, and he got thrown in jail for it. And so he writes this letter to them from prison. Now, it's not a prison like you and I would think, like uh, with prison bars, and uh, he only gets to get out once a day to go to the chow hall or things like that. It's, it's, he's under house arrest. He's able to have visitors come and go, but he's not allowed to leave himself. He's under 24-hour watch and surveillance with a, a Roman soldier with him, awaiting trial. Uh, and so he doesn't know if he's ever going to get his freedom again. Uh, he doesn't know if he'll ever uh, see uh, the church at Philippi ever again. He wants to go see him, but he doesn't know if he'll make it or not. So a lot of uncertainty that Paul has in his life, and probably most of us with what we would call a difficult circumstance. And that's really important because of the command that he gives in verse number four. Let's take a look at it this morning. Philippians chapter four, we're going to start in verse number one, and we're going to read through verse number uh, five today. Therefore, my, belo- my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Euodius and beseech Synecdoche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with my other fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. For me, as much as I try to embody what this verse says, I complain a whole lot. For me, knowing that I should find the good and praise the good, I always find the bad and and it ruins my day. I don't know about you guys, but I am expert certified to the 10th level fault finder. Uh, If there's something wrong, I'm going to find it. It's just the way that that I am. I hate it about myself because I can go to something uh, and see all the things that are wrong and forget about the things that are great. Uh, I can look at uh, our Christmas morning uh, wrapping paper that's all around the tree, and I can wonder, like, why is that wrapping paper different from all the other ones? Did we run out? Did we not buy enough? Did we not plan ahead? Uh, I'll look at things like that, and it bugs me. Uh, I walked in here this morning. I've been, been seeing There's a Redeemer all week, and it's such a great song. Thank you, O oh, our Father, for giving us your Son, the sacrificial love of God to give us His Son, Jesus Christ, and not to leave us alone, but to leave His Spirit with us until the work is done. Man, I've been singing that all week, and I was singing it this morning as I came into the auditorium. I'm coming to the auditorium, and I hear uh, the, the musicians uh, practicing the, the special that we hear, and the one thing I desire is just to know you more, and I was encouraged by that. And as I walk in, I look, and there's carpet tiles in the auditorium. I won't point them out to you if you find them you're just like me but the the glue that holds down the carpet tiles is coming up between the carpet tiles 
and it's probably about a sixteenth of an inch wide and probably about an inch long of glue that you can see coming through the carpet tiles. And you're looking around right now. Stop looking around. Okay, just quit. And I think to myself, these carpet tiles have been here for four years now when we moved into this auditorium four years ago. Man, how long has the glue been coming up that I didn't notice? And then if I noticed, how many other people have noticed? And they're up here singing a song about how great and good God, Jesus is. And I'm sitting here thinking about t- glue on, on carpet tiles. And then I'm thinking to myself, can you just cut the glue and it comes up? Do we need to pull the, the carpet tiles up all together and re-glue it with a different type of glue? Is there glue that, that dries clear? Maybe we could get a paint pen that's color matched to the color of the carpet and we could color the glue and then nobody would notice. That's what's on my mind on a Sunday morning before church starts, right? And I, I, I had to stop myself and say, stop. Do you remember how good God is in giving us his son and leading his spirit till the work is done? Do you remember that the one desire of your heart used to be before uh, carpet tile through you uh, for a, a loop today? The one desire of your life was just to know God more and love him more and live a life that was pleasing to him. Did you forget that? I totally forgot it. Because I'm a fault finder by nature. And she might say, well, that's me too, Pastor. We're just, that's just us. We're, that's just how God wired us. No, that's how our flesh is bent toward. And so God is commanding us to do something that's not in our flesh, but it's of his spirit. And that is to rejoice, to find the good and praise that. To look for the things where God is at work and join him in his work and praise him for his work and praise him for his goodness and his faithfulness. That's what God's called us to do. The idea of of rejoicing, the word rejoice could be synonymous with the word praise. And so those two words go together. And really the root word of rejoice is the word joy. And some people have used acrostics in the past, Jesus, others in you, gives you joy. I don't disagree with that. But what is the definition of joy? Is it just happiness? I'm going to give you a definition. I don't think it's on the screen. If you're taking notes, you should write this down. Joy is happiness based on spiritual realities. I'll say it again. Joy is happiness based on spiritual realities. So joy doesn't take into account that you had a really rough week at work. Joy doesn't take into account that you didn't get a lot of good sleep last night. Joy doesn't take into account that there's some things going on right now that you don't really know what's going to happen with that and you're unsure how that's going to affect your future. Joy doesn't care about any of those. Joy cares about this. I know who God is. God knows who I am. I am loved by God. I'm saved by Jesus Christ. I have the Spirit of God inside of me. I have the promises of God's Word at my disposal. I'm able to be a part of a church family that is full of love and encouragement, and I have brothers and sisters that know me, and I know them. I know that when I pray, my Heavenly Father hears me and acts on my behalf. I know that God is sovereign. He knows the beginning from the end, and He's already got it all planned out. All I have to do is walk the path. And because of that, I can have joy. I can be facing sickness and have joy because my joy isn't based on my health and well-being. My joy is based on spiritual realities. And so again, sometimes people say, well, it's just hard to have joy. I got a lot going on in my life right now. Then you don't understand joy because joy has nothing whatsoever to do with what's going on in your life. Joy is produced inside of you by the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. If you're taking notes, you should jot that out in your margin. It's the fruit of the Spirit. This is what you want in your life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law, the Bible says. That last phrase, against such there is no law. If you're living by these things, you don't need any rules to tell you what to do. If you're loving, if you have joy, if you're long-suffering, that God's law is already written upon your heart and you're ruled by the fruit of the Spirit. And so joy is not something that we work up. Joy is not getting pumped up. That's why, again, for us here at Huikala, our music ministry is intentionally simple because we could get you really emotionally worked up if we wanted to. We're going to put a little bit of uh, smoke and on the, the platform up here and turn the lights down really low, get some blue lights that pulse whenever uh, they hit that, that cajon drum over there. 
We get some people up here swaying back and forth with their hands in the air. And I'll say, if you love Jesus this morning, raise a shout to God. And we're like, ah. I can get you emotionally worked up, but the, the Bible tells us not to be ruled by emotion, but by the Spirit. And let me tell you this. There's not a church in the world that can work up the Holy Spirit inside of you. You either are ruled by the Spirit of God or you're not. And we can't work that up by having a super awesome praise and worship set list. It doesn't work that way. It works by the Spirit of God at work in us. So our, our music is intentionally simple. Look, we can fill this whole platform with singers and musicians. We have professional musicians in our church. Like, they play music for a living. We can have them. We can have the best music in town, but that's not the purpose is to have a good show. The purpose is to worship Jesus. And that doesn't require a lot of smoke and mirrors to do that. But joy comes about as the Holy Spirit's at work in my life. Praise is a result of my joy. And so your praise is not based on our circumstances, but it's based on the goodness of God. I don't really know what's going on in your life. If you're like me, you probably had a pretty tough week this week. I remember a week before last, I had a... a terrible week. I mean, I just slammed from one end to the other up all day. I was working for me. I'm a pastor. This is what I do full time. But I had some days that were, were 14, 15, 16 hour days last week. Man, me and, and, and Trey and one of the men of our church were up here yesterday running cable for cameras and stuff like that and, and did it till the 11th hour. You know, I was here at six o'clock this morning and Trey rolled in right behind me getting stuff ready for a day. Man, there's been heavy workloads lately. But you know what? My joy isn't based on my heavy workload or lack thereof. My joy is based on the goodness of God. Man, I have joy this morning because I get to gather together with my brothers and sisters. You guys are my family. And we get to worship Jesus together. We get to talk about his goodness, to hear of his faithfulness. I get to hear of the truths of God's word together. And we get to grow together. And again, if this is your first time here at this church, you get to do this with us. Join us on this journey together. I invited my, uh, my barber to open house Sunday. She's, uh, she's coming next Sunday. I'm really excited about that. And she, one of the questions she asked, she said, do you guys have a large worship team? I said, we don't. I said, on purpose. I said, we try to cultivate relationships instead of an experience. And she goes, oh, that makes so much sense. We're trying to get you plugged into other Christians that you can grow with rather than giving you like a big production show experience. And, and I know churches that say, oh, come to our 8 a.m. worship experience. And it's just like, you're making it sound like it's like an IMAX theater or something, right? It's like, it's not, it's not a worship experience, you know? It's a gathering of God's people for the purpose of growing one another together with God. That's the idea behind it. And we do that and we have joy based on the goodness of God. None of us are here this morning because I'm a great guy. I didn't show up today because you're totally awesome. I showed up today because we serve a great God. And if we didn't, we're just kind of wasting our time, you know? And so again, our joy is not based on what's going on in our lives. It's based on the goodness of God. But here's the fact of the matter. You and I are not immune to suffering and difficulty just because we call ourselves Christians. Again, Paul has joy. He commands the church at Philippi to rejoice not once but twice in one verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you missed it the first time, let me say it again. Rejoice. And so as he challenges them with that, Again, he doesn't say it from sitting on the beach staring out at the water. He's not on a cruise. He's sitting in prison. This is why one of the things that I have a deep-seated hatred for, and you should too, is a false gospel. The false prosperity so-called gospel, which just like Paul says in Galatians 1, is not really a gospel. It says, Jesus came... And died for you so that you wouldn't have to live a mediocre life. What? Jesus died so that you wouldn't have to drive a crummy car, wear tattered clothes, and he could live like a true child of the king. Huh? Jesus died so you never have to suffer. So that you can have everything that you desire. So that you can never get sick. Jesus did that for you and you need to claim it and walk in faith and walk like it. That's garbage. Have you ever read the Bible? 
The Son of Man hath not a place to lay his head. My Savior didn't even own a place to live. The Apostle Paul, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, left for dead, thrown in prison, again and again and again. Paul writes this letter from prison. Where's Paul's prosperity? Read 2 Corinthians. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it is, and frankly, it doesn't matter. But he said this, I asked God to take it away three times, and God said, no, my grace is sufficient. So Paul knew all about suffering. And so again, the idea that Jesus died to make our life comfortable just is a foolish idea altogether. It's a false gospel. But you and I should hold near and dear the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus died for sinners. Jesus died and is willing to save all that would come to him in faith and repentance. You see, I've sinned against God. You've sinned against God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3, verse number 23. There's none righteous, no, not one. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we're all a sinner. Our sin has separated us from a holy God. Our sin has transgressed God's law. God had rules. You and I have broken them all. And not just once or twice, but we continue to sin. Our sin is offensive to God. And because of that, God has placed us at a distance awaiting our judgment. All sinners are placed, for lack of a better term, on death row, awaiting their execution. But here's the thing. God doesn't want you to die and go to hell. God doesn't want to punish you. The Bible says that God doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. God doesn't want to hurt anybody. God is love. God is grace. God is mercy. But God is also just. And God says somebody's got to pay And either you can pay for your own sin or God says this, I love you so much that I'm willing to send my only son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'm willing to do that for you. Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth or demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for sinners. And so Jesus died in my place. But here's the thing. When we get to heaven one day, And you'll stand before God, every single one of us. It's appointed unto man once to die. After that, the judgment, the Bible tells us. God's not going to take all the good that you've done in your life and put it on one side and all the bad and see which one outweighs the other. Sometimes I talk to people, I say, if you died today, are you 100% sure you're going to heaven? They say, well, I sure hope so. I think so. I'm pretty sure. The Bible makes it really clear. When you get to stand before God, and he's going to have a book, and he opens it up called the book of life if your name is written in the book of life god says welcome home son welcome home daughter come on in if your name is not found written in the book of life revelation chapter 20 makes it ridiculously clear all whose names were not found written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire this is the second death well how do you get your name in the book do you be really good go to church a lot give a lot of money do a lot of religious stuff No, none of those things will get your name written in the book of life. The only thing that will is faith and repentance on your part. You got to do your part. And your part is not going to church and getting baptized and doing religious stuff and going to a class and all this other stuff. Your part, you must believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. You must believe that he has died for your sins. You must believe that he is the only way to heaven. You must believe that he has risen again the third day, just as he had said. And you must put your full faith and trust in him and be willing to say, I have sinned, please forgive me. That's it. So many times people complicate the gospel. It's really simple. You've broken God's law. He's made a way for you to make it right. Put your faith in him, repent of your sins, and it's done. But you might say, well, I don't want to do that. I'll just work it out with God when I get there. Good. He's determined how that happens. His wrath and judgment. If you're here today and there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again, know this, God is waiting for you. He's giving you opportunities. But he's not going to wait forever. I love what the Bible says about God's wrath. The Bible says that God is forbearing in his wrath. When my wife and I got married, we didn't go through premarital counseling. We didn't, we, we were, we basically dated for three months. We were engaged for 40 days and then we got married uh, because I was crazy in love. We didn't do it the right way. I would give people a, a different timeline to follow. We didn't have any premarital counseling. We didn't even know what we were getting into. 
but we, uh, we get married and we, we moved uh, to Honolulu, I was stationed here in the Navy. And we start getting our mail here, and she gets a bill from her student loans. And I said, I didn't know you had student loans. And she was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And <laughs> probably should have. <laughs> I'm thinking, you probably should have told me that when we got married. And she's like, well, you probably should have asked. It's like, yeah, true. <laughs> and so he, here's the thing. I was super broke because I wasn't managing my money well, but as a single guy for sure. I just made E5. I wasn't making a ton of money. We are living in base housing, so we didn't get like any type of housing allowance or anything like that where we could cut corners. We were just broke. I said, I don't know how we're going to pay it. She said, well, we can have my student loans. We can apply for forbearance. I said, what does that mean? And she said, basically, they put your student loan on hold, and then later you have to pay it. But they're giving you a period to get it together, and then you can pay it later. I said, well, whatever that is, like, do that, like, immediately, because I can't afford this stuff. And so, and it wasn't even a lot of money. It was a lot of money to us then, but it wasn't, like, you know, she didn't owe, like, $60,000 or anything, but... We, we couldn't pay it. And so we basically said, put it on hold and we'll, we'll pay it later. When the Bible says that God is forbearing his wrath, he's put his wrath on pause for a minute to give you the opportunity to get it together. But there comes a point where payment is due in full. And you're going to have to pay. Well, I'm not ready to pay. No, you will pay. That's the thing about it. And the Bible says God's forbearing his wrath. Think of it this way. God's holding back his wrath, but he's not going to hold it back forever. There's coming a point where he's going to let it loose, and you will feel God's wrath for your sin. And you say, well, that's terrible. It's the worst thing in the world that could happen to a human being. But here's why God is so gracious. Because he says, I've already arranged a payment for you, and his name's Jesus. I sent my son to die in your place. You see, God didn't hold back his wrath on Jesus. He poured it out in full. And Jesus already endured the wrath for my sin. Jesus already paid my debt for my sin. And as Jesus hung upon the cross, he said three super important words. It is finished. The payment for my sin and yours has been completed. All you have to do is be willing to receive it. If you'd be willing today to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he would save you with a quickness. You don't have to join our church. You don't have to become a Baptist. You don't have to get baptized. You don't have to go through a class. You don't have to meet with anybody. You just have to be willing to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins, and I'm turning from my sin and turning to Jesus under his authority. That's it. You can be saved today. And the Bible says there's no way to heaven other than being saved. John chapter 3, verse number 3, Jesus says, No man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born Again, he's the only way. But here's the good news for, for those of us that are Christians. Once that happens, not only do we become children of God, not only do we have our sin removed from our account as if it never happened, we also receive inside of us the Spirit of God, which produces inside of us love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and all the other good stuff that your heart craves. But again, You've been sold a bill of goods if you think by being a child of God, all of your problems go away. You've been misled if you think that following Jesus makes everything in your life just smooth sailing for the rest of your life. That's not the gospel either. But you know what the good news is? Whatever you're walking through, you'll never walk through it alone again. Whatever you're dealing with, you'll always have the tools and resources at your disposal to deal with whatever comes your way, whereas before you were 100% on your own. But now I have the Spirit of God inside of me, and when I face difficult circumstances, I can say, praise God, He knows what He's doing. I don't. I don't know why this is happening to me, but God does. I'm not sure how this is all going to work out, but God does. I can trust Him because I know that my Father loves me, and He's working on my behalf. That's why you and I, we have to praise God in good times and in bad times. My wife and I made a vow to one another the day that we got married. I'm going to be here for you in good times and in bad times, in sickness and in health, till death do his part. And we've kept those vows and we intend to till the day that we die. But here's the thing. God commands us to praise in good times and bad times and sickness and health and all those other things as well. Because he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. But you see, the beautiful part about this is we're not commanded to rejoice in our own feelings. We're commanded to rejoice in the Lord. 
verse number four is really critical because if you look at it, it doesn't just say rejoice, and again I say rejoice. It says rejoice in the Lord. Because there's days where I don't feel like praising. Things are not going my way. I'm not getting what I wanted out of life. I'm not making the progress that I wanted to. I'm frustrated. I'm discouraged. I'm, I'm mad. I didn't get my way. Things aren't going the way I want them to. But I can still praise because I'm not praising my circumstances. I'm not praising my wife, my kids, my marriage. I can rejoice in the Lord. I can praise because God's so good. And so my praise is only hindered by my willingness to praise. Because if you're here today and you say, well, I don't really have anything to praise for today. I love you enough to tell you this. If you can say you have nothing to praise for today, something's not right with your heart. It's not. I woke up with breath in my lungs today. Praise God for that. There's plenty of people that didn't wake up today. I got to wake up and come to not one, but two church services where I got to worship God with some of the greatest people that I've ever known in my entire life. I praise God for that. This morning, before I ever even stepped into the church building, I got the opportunity to open the Bible, and God spoke to me directly from his word. Praise God that he loves me that way. Praise God that I can read the Bible in my own language. We take that for granted. Is you know there are hundreds of languages around the world where people cannot read the Bible in their own language? Did you know that there are countries in the world where it's illegal to own a copy of the Bible? Did you know that there are places in the world where it's illegal to share your faith with another person lest you be thrown in jail? Like, <laughs> does America have problems? 101, if you want to know, just ask me. I'll be sure to have, let you know all of them because I'm fault finder level 10. But has God been gracious to America? Oh, so gracious. Has God blessed America? Oh, he has. And I pray that he continues to. And we have freedom to be able to sit and read the Bible. We have freedom to invite a coworker to church next Sunday. We have freedom to share my faith with anybody that would be willing to listen. It's like, wow. Praise God. But again, my praise isn't based on me and who I am, what's going on with me. I rejoice in the Lord and you see, here's the important part. It doesn't say rejoice in God. It doesn't say rejoice in Jesus. It says rejoice in the Lord. Why is that important? Because joy comes from submission to the Lordship of Jesus. When I was a kid, I, I grew up in, in church my whole life, but uh, I didn't really start walking with Jesus until I was in my early 20s. And for those of you that don't know, there's a difference. There's a difference. Congratulations, you learned something today. I thought going to church equals walking with Jesus. It does not. Going to church gives you a framework and helps you to develop a relationship with Jesus and it helps to enhance your walk with Jesus, but your walk with Jesus is 100% on you. I didn't know that until I was in my early 20s and man, my life changed after that. But I remember it, it being a kid, I, I thought that Lord Jesus Christ, like Lord was like his first name. He went by Jesus, which was his middle name, which was a cooler name than Lord. And Christ was Mary and Joseph's last name. And so Lord Jesus Christ was his full name, right? <laughs> I didn't realize later that that phrase is packed with, that title is packed with so much power. The word Lord means master, the boss, the one who calls the shots, the top dog, the one who says jump, and we don't say how high, we just start jumping and question whether or not that's high enough. Jesus is the Hebrew name Yeshua, which means Yahweh or Jehovah God saves. And the name Jesus, as it was transliterated into the Greek, it was not a unique name to Jesus Christ. The name Yeshua is where we get our, the name Joshua. So Joshua that took over for Moses, his Hebrew name was Yeshua, which also meant Yahweh or Jehovah saves. So Jesus, while now is a hallowed, holy, special, sacred name, it wasn't even up, up until that point. But Christ 
means he's the Messiah, he's the prophesied one, the one who would save his people from their sins, the one who had been prophesied from since the beginning of time. That meant that he was the Christ. That's why when Jesus asked Peter, who do people say that I am? Some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people say you're uh, one of the prophets. He said, who do you say that I am? We say that thou art the Christ. You're the one that we've been waiting for. You are the son of God. Jesus says, yeah, that's right. And I'm going to build my church on that foundational truth that I am the son of God. Big deal. So, but that word Lord at the beginning is really important too because that means he's the master. So we're called to rejoice in the Lord, the master. It's a unique thought. Again, sometimes we just think that God willy-nilly chooses words in the Bible like Lord is synonymous with God or Lord is synonymous with Jesus or Christ is synonymous with, with Jesus and stuff like that. Hey, look, history, unsaved world history identifies a historical character by the name of Jesus. Just like they do the prophet Mohammed. But History books don't call Jesus Christ Lord. You should, you should make note of that. You never read the encyclopedia and it says, Lord Jesus was born in Bethlehem in a manger and Lord Jesus came from Nazareth. And this historical character, Lord Jesus, they don't do that. They just call him Jesus because that was his given name by his mother. Lord is a title that Christians give to him to, to denote the fact that he is the master. And Jesus was actually talking with a group of folks and they were talking to him and they had some questions. He said, hey, Lord, Lord. He's like, hold on, hold on, just a second. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do the things that I say? It's almost like he said, you keep using that word, but I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> some of you got that. Jesus, wait, wait, wait. you call me Lord, but you don't, you're not doing anything that I say, so I'm not really Lord, you're just calling me by a title. For those of you that didn't catch the reference, see me after church, okay? Because some of you are like whispering back and forth, don't do that. <laughs> Jesus says, you call me Lord, but I'm, you don't actually follow what I say. And so for you and I, I want to be clear in how I explain this because it can get a little bit fuzzy if we're not paying attention. So put on your big brain hat right now and think with me for just a minute. Jesus Christ is Lord, whether you believe it or not. He is master. He doesn't need your validation. He doesn't need you to prove that he is. He doesn't even need you to accept that he is. He is Lord, and nothing can change that. But you and I can either submit to his lordship or we can live in rebellion of his lordship. But please never miss the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is why for me, massive pet peeve as a pastor. I hate it when people talk in salvation and they use unbiblical, non-biblical words and phrases. For example, would you like to invite Jesus into your heart? That's not a Bible thing. And again, grinds my gears. Jesus is standing outside of the door of your heart and he's knocking. Please let me come in, please. He's just knocking. Hey, look, Jesus isn't groveling at your front door. He's Lord. He doesn't need you to come out and validate him. He's given you the opportunity to receive him. The Holy Spirit might be drawing you to him, but please understand that Jesus isn't like a, a boyfriend that, that, that's standing outside his girlfriend's door knocking, trying to get in. That's not who he is. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the seed of sin, death, and the grave, and he doesn't need you to come out and validate him so he'll feel like something. So when we talk about salvation in unbiblical terms, like God's knocking at the door, open the door and let him in, or would you like to, to, would you like to make Jesus Lord today? Jesus doesn't need you to make him Lord. He's already Lord. And how you feel about him does not change the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, will you submit to the authority of his lordship? That's a great question. Because by nature, we rebel against his lordship. That we've all gone our own way like a sheep without a shepherd. Everyone turned into their own way. By nature, we rebel against the Lordship because we have made ourselves Lord. 
well, who gets to determine what's right and wrong? You do what's right for you, I'll do what's right for me. Because you've made yourself your own master. And you and I, if we're not careful, we take Jesus Christ out of the lordship of our life and we put ourselves back into the lordship of his life because we just want to do what we want to do. Pastor, I know what the Bible says, but I I just already made up my mind. I just need to do what I, I want to do. Okay. Then Jesus Christ is not Lord of your life. You are. Because if Jesus Christ is Lord, that means he's master. And to use some non-politically correct language in our society today, but it's biblical language. The Bible calls Jesus Christ Lord, which means master. But the Bible also uses those who are submitted to the master, where you might find the word servant in the New Testament. It's actually the word doulos, which means bond slave. There's different words for service. The the word diakonos, where we get our term deacon from, is one who serves, like one who waits tables and serves. That's to serve. But the word doulos meant one thing, property of another owner. And so if, if Jesus Christ is Lord and you and I are slaves, he's master, we're slave. That means I don't get to determine which part of the commands I'm going to follow, which ones I'm not. Either he's master or he's not. And so you might look at that. Most Christians, when they're maybe new to the faith, or even Christians who are immature in their faith, like I was for so many years, or Christians who are just completely and totally carnal, We'll look at Christianity and go, well, being a Christian is kind of a drag. I mean, you know, like, now I can't smoke weed. Now I can't get drunk on the weekends. Now I'm supposed to have, stop having sex with my girlfriend. Now I can't look at pornography. Now I've got to go to church at least once a week. And then if I don't, I get pressured. Why I'm not part of a Bible study. It's just like, man, Christianity is just such a burden. No, no, no. You missed it. You missed the boat. Christianity is not a burden. It's the greatest liberation of my life. Oh, well, if I've got to submit as a slave to a master, I'd just rather be free. Well, that's where you misunderstand things too. Because you'll never be free. You'll always serve a master. Always. No, I won't. I can call my own shots. I can do what I want to. Read Romans chapter 6. It says you're either a slave to righteousness or you're a slave to your sin. And Jesus came to redeem you. That means to purchase you out of your slavery to sin. You were a slave to sin and Jesus bought you out of that so that you could follow a new master now. But please understand, you'll always be under the power of a master, whether your master is a loving, gracious, kind master like Jesus or a terrible, awful, life-wrecking, death-bringing master like sin. But friend, you will never call the shots. Please understand that. Because even if you say, I'm going to call the shots, I'm going to continue to live in my sin. Sin runs the show then at that point. You know, you don't, you've lost all power. So you can either submit to the lordship of a loving master, and here's the great part about that, is you find joy from it. There's joy in submission to the lordship of Jesus. Look, when you do things Jesus' way, you'll find joy. Because my wife and I decided 20 plus years ago to submit our marriage to the lordship of Jesus. It brings joy to our marriage. It brings trust to our relationship. It brings peace to our marriage. When my wife says, hey, I've got to stop at Target and pick up a couple of things on the way home. Do you need anything? And I say, no. But I always know what that means. And then she's gone for an hour, two hours, three hours. Then thoughts start going through my mind. In two decades plus of marriage, I've never thought to myself, she's been gone for three hours at Target. I wonder if she's hooking up with another guy. I wonder if she's found some guy on the internet and she's decided to go meet up with him and she's not really at Target. Maybe I'll go to Target and I'll hide behind the shelves and look around and see if I can find her somewhere, you know? I know where she'll be in Target. I guarantee you that. But that thought never crossed my mind. You know what thoughts crossed my mind? The longer that she spends in Target, the fuller the cart gets. And the fuller the cart gets, the bigger the number is that comes up on the screen at the end. Those are the thoughts that I'm thinking. That's why I text and say, are you okay? Should I come get you? Not because I'm afraid that she's doing something sinful, but because I don't know if our budget can handle it, right? Why is that? Why can, it's, it's a funny illustration, but why can I have peace that my wife's not running around on me? Because we both submitted ourselves to the lordship of Jesus and we live under his authority 
every single day. Every day. And it removes any doubt, frustration, and allows us to both have peace and joy. And submission to the Lordship of Jesus is not a drag, it's a joy. Because joy comes from walking in obedience. Again, Psalm 119, 171. My lips shall utter praise when thou hast taught me thy statutes. So one of the best things in the world you can do, first of all, if you're not saved today, be saved. But if you're a Christian, the best thing you can do in the world is submit yourself to the authority of Jesus. Whatever you say, I'm going to do it. Angela and I made a decision that absolutely changed our life and, and it had an impact in your life, you just didn't know it. 20 years ago, we heard a message on a Sunday night in a Bible preaching church where they talked about being obedient and whatever God asks you to do, you should just do it. And we did. We went forward at the, the end of the service. We prayed together. We held hands. And I, I wasn't a great spiritual leader. I didn't know what to say. We didn't pray in King James English. Thou gracious and merciful Heavenly Father, we beseech thee, therefore, this great eve by the throne of grace. And say any of that. Knelt down and I prayed. God, whatever you tell us to do from here on out, the answer will always be yes. Amen. And when we got up and went back to our seats. Simple prayer. But look, every time the Lord, the Master, said, I need you to do this. The answer has just always been yes. I need you to pick up and move your family from California where you just bought a house at the end of a cul-de-sac with a three-car garage and 3,000 square feet for $180,000. Oh, exactly. I need you to pick pick that up, move it to the middle of the city where you'll probably never own a house for the rest of your life and reach a bunch of people who don't want to be reached. Done. It was never even a thought. The answer was always yes. Because we chose a long time ago to live under the obedience and lordship of Jesus Christ. And if you do that, I'm telling you, this will change your life forever. And it makes the decision-making process really easy. Does God want us to do it? Yeah. Okay, then we're going to do it. Well, it's inconvenient. I don't care. We're obedient. So there's joy that comes from walking in obedience. Because we're Christians, we can also rejoice in the sovereignty of God. I know that God's at work. I know that God's going to do something special. I don't know what he's doing or why he's doing it, but I just can trust him. You see, the unsaved world, I believe right now, is in a panic because they don't know what's coming next. What's going to happen? Is there an, a, another variant of this virus that's going to come out that's going to be worse than the first? Is it going to wipe out mankind? Are we all going to die? Can I say to that? Don't know don't care. Well, that's a really flippant attitude to have, as if we're in charge of anything, right? Jesus said this, how many of you, by worrying about it, can add one inch to your height? How many? Just raise your hand if you think you can do that, because that'd be a totally awesome trick to see. You can't. So worrying about it doesn't do anything, because the person who holds life and death in his hand, that's my father. He's got this. I'm not sweating it. And so Paul, as he writes from prison, he can say, hey guys, you can rejoice, all's good right now. Wait a minute, Paul, we, we feel bad for you. We know that you're in prison, you're probably going through a lot of stuff right now. Paul said, no, 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 rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And Paul even says in chapter one, hey, you guys might have heard I was in prison, but don't worry about me, I'm good. The gospel's going further than it ever has before. And this is actually a really good thing I'm in prison. Don't worry about me, I'm concerned about you. How are you guys doing? Why? Because Paul could rest in the sovereignty of God. God knows the beginning from the end. My days are already numbered. There's nothing in the world I can do to extend it by another day if I wanted to. So all I can do is make the days that I have count for something. But we can rest and have joy because of the sovereignty of God. Next, knowing God will lead you to greater praise. That's one of the reasons why I love this song we heard today. My desire is to know you more. Let me help you with a thought this morning. You cannot praise what you do not know. And the more that you know God, the more that you're praising. Think about this for a second. I know little to nothing about football whatsoever. Nothing. I grew up in Kentucky. College basketball is a religion there. Like people legitimately like worship college basketball. Our University of Kentucky football team, terrible. It's a warm-up for basketball season is all it is. Our closest pro team that we had 
probably would have been the Dallas Cowboys, which is America's team, which I don't understand how you can be America's team and everybody hates your guts, but somehow that's the case. Uh, but, but I know nothing about football. And so somebody this morning came to the 8 o'clock service, never been to the 8 o'clock service. I said, hey, great to see you guys this morning. Got up early on a Sunday morning for church. Good for you. And I said, the Seahawks are playing at 10. We got to get going. Oh, well, here's the thing. I'm glad you made it a priority to be at the 8 o'clock service to be in church. Man, good for you. But then I thought to myself, I don't know anything about the Seahawks. I don't follow football. I actually had to even ask in the first service if Russell Wilson was still the quarterback of the Seahawks. I found out that he was. Um, uh, you know, what do I know about the Seahawks? Uh, I know that they should have ran it up the middle instead of passing with like two yards to go. I'm sorry for you Seahawks fans. Uh, that, that's all I remember. Again, this is all I know about football, Okay. That's all I know. I found out, again, that Marshawn Lynch does not play for the Seahawks any longer. Uh, and so, uh, but I don't know anything. So let's, let's find 10 reasons to praise the Seahawks this morning. Okay, Russell Wilson's a good quarterback. Uh, they got some rabid, crazy fans that they call, like, what, the 13th man or something like that. I don't know how many players get on the field at a time, but there's a number of their fans. They don't wear the cheese blocks on their heads. That's somebody else. Um, okay, they, they're in Seattle. It's a beautiful city. Well, that's not about the Seahawks. It's about Seattle. Okay, that doesn't count. So I come up with maybe two or three reasons to praise the Seahawks. I've seen their, their stadium before on TV, and it was really pretty. Um, but I, I don't know anything to praise about them, you know. Uh, I know their, their coach, Pete. Thank you, Pete Carroll. Yeah. Uh, good coach. Um, I, he's a Christian, too. I didn't know that. Um, I'm running out of things. You know why? Because I don't know that. I don't follow that. That's not my world. That's not my life. So many times people think, well, I don't really know anything to praise God for. Then you don't really know God. Because if you really knew God, you wouldn't have time to list all the things you can praise God for. So the more that you know him, the more that you'll love him. The more that you know him, the more you'll know what you need from him. That's a crazy thought. Like for me, I was reading uh, in First Kings this past week. In my, no, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, First Kings in my Bible reading. And Solomon was David's son. God bless him. Solomon built a temple, a big, huge party. Solomon had a thousand women at his disposal. And the Bible says that these women turned him away from God unto strange gods. Because of that, God says Solomon's children will not rule Israel the way that David did and Solomon did. But because David was faithful and because Solomon was a knucklehead, I'll give him Judah. And so Solomon's son had one kingdom and the rest of it was given to somebody else. And as I read that, I thought to myself, God, I don't want to do something that would be so stupid that it would hurt my children and hurt my grandkids. And my family tree would be messed up because of me. And as I read that, I prayed and I asked God to help me to be the type of man that would pass on generational blessings, not generational cursings. Mm. And so as I knew more of God, I realized something that I needed from God that I didn't know that I needed before. And so that's why I encourage you to be in God's word every single day. To understand God, his character, who he is, what he expects of you. Become a scholar, a student of the word of God. You need it. I do too. But you see, spiritual stability in my life and yours is directly related to how a person thinks of God. Perspective is everything. If you think about it this way, if your view of God is an angry father waiting for his kids to mess up, He's got his belt in his hand. He's wrapping it against his other hand. He's cracking his knuckles. He's cracking his neck, and he's just waiting for you to step out of line. Try me. That's going to change your relationship with how you view God. I had an accident this morning because God hates me. My kids got in trouble at school because God's trying to teach me a lesson for being a terrible kid when I was a kid. My marriage is falling apart because God put me together with a person that doesn't even care anything about me. Man, God just hates me because I don't read the Bible enough, because I don't pray enough. My alarm didn't go off, I didn't go to church on a Sunday morning, and God's just trying to make my life miserable because I miss church. You don't understand your father. Where did you get that idea? Because you didn't get it from Scripture. And how you view God determines your heart towards God. 
But if you see God as a loving, merciful, gracious Heavenly Father that sees you and how messed up you are but chooses to love you anyways, you'll have a totally different perspective on God. Now I look at God and I'm humbled. God, I don't know why you would love a pathetic, wretched sinner like me. God, I don't know why you continue to shower me with your blessings despite how I fail you time and time again. God, there's so many other people that are deserving of the blessings that you've given me, but for some reason you've chosen to bless me, and I just don't get it. But I'm thankful. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. God, I deserve to go to hell because I've sinned against you. You've, you've set your rules, and I break them every chance I get. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life, but my flesh is so strong. But you're patient with me. You give me time to grow. You wrap my knuckles with a ruler when I get out of hand sometimes just to draw me back to you. That's the sound of freedom. America, right? But my view of God is different because I see him for who he really is. Again, that's why when people think, well, Christianity is just a bunch of rules and things that you can and can't do. You don't understand who God is. God's giving you boundaries to keep you safe. God doesn't want you to ruin your life. Like nobody is there driving out past, uh, past Huaykai to Waimanalo. You get to see that big, all the, the water over on the side, and the cliffs and stuff like that. Nobody looks and goes, these stupid guardrails are keeping me from having a good time. It's just like, no, I'm trying not to die, right? Man, if I was really free, I wouldn't have to deal with these guardrails. I could just go off the side anytime I wanted to. No, they're there for your protection. Because you're an idiot, right? Because you're a terrible driver. But people view God that way. Oh, God's got all these rules. No, he's trying to protect you. He's trying to keep you on track. He has the best life for you, and he wants to lead you towards that. That's why Psalm, verse, uh, one, Psalm chapter 1, verse number 3. Actually, verse number 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the sea of scornful, his delights in the law of the Lord and in the law he doth meditate day and night he shall be like a tree planted by the river's water that bringeth forth fruit in his season his leaf shall also not wither and whatsoever he doeth it shall prosper hey if you love God and you obey him and you become a lover of his word you're going to be like a tree planted by the waters who's going to bring about fruit whenever it's time for you to bring about fruit but here's the thing your leaf is never going to wither and die because you're plugged into the power source. So again, when you have a right perspective of who God is, God is a life giver, not a joy killer. That perspective makes all the difference in the world. And God tells us that rejoicing and praising is expected in every single situation. Every situation. Well, it's really hard to praise right now. Well, think really hard. Well, I'm just struggling with my praise for a minute. Stop struggling. Praise God. Find a reason to praise God. Make a list. I'd encourage you, if you've never done this exercise before, I've recommended it several times, get a list out as part of your daily devotional. Philippians 4.4 will be your verse for the day. Find 50 reasons to praise God today. Poor 50, that's a lot. You'll get to about 12 and you'll get stuck for a minute. By the, time, by the time you get to like 46, you're like, ah, I've only got four left. I don't know what to put. It's like, there's so many things that I want to put. I don't know. Can I go past 50? Yes, you can. Keep going. But we forget, again, because we're chronic complainers like I am. We're level 10 fault finders like I am. And we forget to praise because God's so good. He's so good. And God says praise in every situation. But take a look back at our text this morning. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Verse number five, let your moderation be known unto all men. That word moderation basically means your gentleness or your goodness. Or they could use in place of moderation there. I want you to rejoice so that everybody knows how good and kind and gracious you are because of why? The Lord is at hand. Oh, so our lives and the way that we talk should be a reflection of God's goodness to everyone around us, whether they be Christians or not. That's a big deal. 
And praising God for us as Christians, it's a lifestyle choice. Have you ever met somebody before who was like, yeah, I decided to adopt a keto lifestyle. <laughs> Let's see how long that lasts. It's cute. It's, it's cute. It really is. No bread for the rest of your life. I'd love to see it. You know? And some people do it, and some people make, guess what? A lifestyle change. But the majority of people that I've seen that do it are trying to drop 10 pounds or something like that, and I'm not going to eat bread. I want to drop a, a, a waist size in my pants. That's fine. The second you eat bread, you're going to swell up like a balloon, right? Or I'm going to go totally vegan or totally vegetarian. Hey, the people who are successful are the people who what? Make a lifestyle change. Not the people who just try it out for a week. I tried to be vegan for one meal. It did not sit well with me. So I'm back to bacon and burgers. So, uh, But again, lifestyle choice. Praising God, lifestyle choice. This is not a phase that I'm going through. It's not, oh, this week I want to try not to complain so much and, and maybe things will get better. No, I'm making a decision from today going forward that I'm not going to complain so much. I'm just going to praise a whole lot more. And, and uh, let me tell you this. When you begin to praise God and you begin to look for things that God's doing in your life and you praise Him for it, it's going to bleed over into other areas of your life. Now I'm going to stop being so critical with my wife and I'm going to find reasons to praise my wife. I'm going to stop finding all the things that my kids have done wrong and find things that my kids are doing right to praise them for it. It bleeds over into every area of your life. And so this idea of rejoicing in the Lord always and allowing God's goodness to be seen in the lives of others, it's a really, really big deal to God. I like, I, I like older cars, um, like new cars and computers and stuff like that. I don't even understand. Uh, I have a, a, a 2007 Mustang that was misfiring. I had to call my mechanic, and he's like, oh, your coil packs are gone. <laughs> what is a coil pack? I don't understand. Like, look, my first car is a 65 Mustang. You need three things to get the engine started. You need air, fuel, spark. That's it. If you got those three things, the car should start. And if it's not starting, it's one of those three things. I don't know what a coil pack is. And so my mechanic's talking to me, okay, it's like a distributor, but it's like this. So it's like, oh my goodness. And so I had to find out what a coil pack was. I had to buy eight new coil packs. It was a nightmare. But I like older cars because they got tons of gauges too. I know what my oil pressure is. My wife drives a Honda Odyssey. Did you know there's no oil pressure gauge on a Honda Odyssey? There's not even, get this, there's not even a temperature gauge where you can actually see what the temperature of your coolant is in there. It's just either hot or cold. There's like no gauge that you see anything. I can't see on her car the level that the battery is, the, the volts that's being put out. Is my alternator working? Is it not? I don't know. I just hope it is. Crazy. And if something goes wrong, there's one light, the check engine light. What does that mean? It means something's wrong. Is it good or bad? I don't know. Check the engine. But how do I check the engine? Oh, you got to get this separate computer, plug it into the port underneath the dash, and then it'll bring up a code. P0832. Oh, that's helpful. What is that? I got to pull out my phone, look at what a P0832 is. I got to call my mechanic and say, hey, my wife's on Odyssey has a P0832. And he's like, oh, that's not good. Great. What does it even mean? I don't know. But the check engine light says, hey, something's not right. I love being able to look and say, hey, my oil pressure's low. Hey, I don't think my thermostat's working right. I love that. Check engine just frustrates me. But let me help you with this. A Christian without joy is your check engine light's on. Something's not right somewhere. It could be something really small. <laughs> One time, uh, my wife forgot to put the gas cap back on when she got gas, and the check engine light went on. Really simple fix. Go out there, turn it back on, done. Another time, our mass airflow sensor had gone bad. And I found a way to trick it to, so that you didn't have to replace a $400 sensor that wasn't even really bad to begin with. Sometimes, we had a transmission go out on one of our minivans one time, and the check engine light comes on. It's just like, did we screw in the gas cap? No, your transmission's gone. Oh, thanks. For us as Christians, when you have no joy something's not right somewhere. You might just need to screw your gas cap on, get a good night's sleep, eat a decent meal, go to bed, take a nap. Or you might have sin you need to confess. Maybe your heart has grown cold towards the things of God. Your transmission's fallen out. 
get it checked out ASAP. But a Christian without joy is always problematic because you have every reason in the world to praise. The unsaved man, his days are running thin. It's running short. Life is chaos. Death is right around the corner and it's coming and it's coming hard. And you don't know what comes after that. Hey, look, I'd panic too. But for you and I, we've got 10,000 reasons to praise the Lord. So how's your praise life? How's your joy? And for me, I try to have serious dialogue with my wife when I find that my joy's been sucked away. Because something's not right somewhere and I need to find out what. If you take a look in this passage here, uh, we don't have time to get into verse number six. We're going to get into verse six in two weeks. But verse 6 goes down, let your moderation be known in all men, the Lord is at hand. Verse number 6, be careful for nothing. That phrase, be careful, means don't worry about anything. And again, because everything in the Bible is, is written in context, the context of not worrying comes from making sure that we're rejoicing the way that we should. And one of the ways that you can kill your rejoicing is by worrying about everything. And so worry is just a joy killer. So we've got to protect our joy at all costs. So worry steals our joy, and we have to protect our joy at all thoughts, at all costs. And so sometimes when I find my joy lacking, I'll talk to my wife and say, babe, I'm struggling with my joy. And because I have a, a, a wife that loves me and loves Jesus, she says, hey, talk to me about that. What's going on? When did you start feeling this way? What do you think it might be? Is there any sin in your life that you need to confess? Or anything you need to make right? Have I done anything that would cause your joy to be sapped? And I'm thankful for that. But we got to protect our joy because we're commanded to rejoice. And joy is the fuel for rejoicing. You don't have joy in your life. Your rejoicing is like trying to start a car that has no gas. just doesn't get going. makes a lot of noise, but doesn't have any power behind it. So we have to protect our joy. A few final thoughts when we're done here today. First of all, praise God as part of your regular prayer time. So many times Christians can get stuck in a rut. I've done this before too, where I just come to God for all the stuff that I need. I got a list. I need you to do this. I need you to fix that. I'm struggling with this. Please help so-and-so. Bless so-and-so's life. Fix this thing that's going on at work. Help me be faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I need all your stuff. But I, I, I find that that's very unfulfilling. We should spend more time praising God as part of our regular prayer time. Before I come to God telling him for all the stuff that I need, I want to thank him for all the stuff I've already got. I've got so many reasons to thank you for how gracious and kind you've been to me. I want to praise you for the creation that you have. I, I praise you that we live in a, a city like Honolulu that's so beautiful, a place that people want to come on vacation. You've allowed me to live here. God, I praise you that a Chick-fil-A is being built on Baratania Street. God, you're so good to us, so gracious. We've got to stock up on Saturday just like the Israelites did with manna. Right? That's, that's a biblical principle. They couldn't gather manna on the Sabbath, so they had to stack, stock up on the day before the Sabbath. So you can't buy Chick-fil-A on Sunday. You've got to stock up on Saturday. Hello? It's the Lord's chicken. So praise God as, as part of your regular time. But also remember to praise God throughout the day. This is not something that's just going to be relegated to our prayer time. It's something that we're going to praise God throughout the day. As, as God does good stuff, we're going to say, hey, praise God for that. Man, God, thank you for doing that for, for me. I want to praise God in front of my children so that they know, hey, this happened today, but it's because God's been good to us. Hey, I want you to know that so-and-so in our church did this, and we praise God for that. I want other people to hear me praise and praise throughout the day. Praise with other Christians. As part of our gathering time on our small groups throughout the week, and if you're not part of a small, small group, you should get in one. Part of our gathering times is we spend time in praise and prayer requests. Hey, tell me something good God's done in your life this week. And, and you know what? Probably us as Christians, we should, as part of our regular conversation, instead of saying, hey, how was work? How was the weather? How was traffic? What's going on with the kids? We should say, hey, tell me something good God's done for you this week. Because we should praise God together with other Christians. It encourages our heart and encourages theirs as well. Next, we should praise God in front of unbelievers. I was blessed to attend the uh, advancement ceremony, pinning ceremony of one of our men this week. Uh, Brian Turner got advanced to a, a colonel in the Marine Corps this week. And so Brian asked me to come to his advancement ceremony and pray. I love it. I uh, love it. Because here's the thing. When I pray, 
I'm going to pray the gospel. <laughs> if you ever invite me to something, ask me to pray. You ask me at your kid's birthday party to pray. I'm going to pray the gospel there. God, thank you that you'd be willing to be so gracious to allow us to be here today. But thank you most of all for the greatest gift you've ever given us in your son, Jesus Christ, who would come to save sinners. Anyone that would come to him in faith and repentance, even today, could be assured of eternal life. And <laughs> I pray the gospel every time I get. But here's what Brian did at a ceremony. When he got a chance to get up and, and, and talk, he didn't say, well, I remember I was here. I remember I was there. I did this. I did that. He said, I feel very unworthy to be able to put on this rank today. He said, but I, I prayed a lot about it, and I've asked God to allow me to do it for two reasons. First of all, to glorify him. Secondly, to serve this great country. And I thought to myself, of all the folks sitting here watching this today, most of them are like, what in the world is going on? But like me, I'm sitting over there going, like, mm, got fist pump coming over here, but I'm also trying to stand at attention at the same time, you know, just like, mm, yeah. But I loved it. And he said, hey, you know, life is not just about what we see, but it's about the next life as well. If you've got questions, please see my pastor over here today. He'd love to answer any questions you have about the Bible. I was just like, yeah. But I thought to myself, how common is that at a Marine Corps advancement ceremony? It just doesn't happen. You know what normally happens? There's a couple of coolers of beer in the back, and as soon as we get done, we're going to have a few beers and drive home. But I thought to myself, here's a guy who God's blessed that he wants to praise before unbelievers, unsaved people that he works with. He says, hey, I want you to know that I only, I'm only this because God's been really good to me. And that makes a statement. Next, sing praise music to God. You should have on your playlist praise and worship music. Praise and worship are not the same. They're different. We worship God for who he is. If God never gave me anything, he's still worthy of our worship because he's greater than us. Praise, I'm thanking him. I'm showing gratitude for what he has given me. And your playlist should be filled to the brim with that. Is there a place for, you know, fun country music to listen to or fun pop music? Probably so. Is there a place for rap music? Probably not. Uh, but... <laughs> But again, I'm not going to fill my head with music that draws my heart towards the world. My heart's already drawn towards the world. I want to fill my brain and my heart with music that draws my heart towards Jesus. So put your emphasis there. And if you want to change your life, like forever, put your playlist, all Christian music, for 21 days and see what happens. It'll change your life. But praise God with the music that you listen to. Finally, memorize scripture on the goodness of God. You're going to need to come back to the truth of what the Bible says time and time again. And so I want to encourage you to meditate on, memorize the word of God because you're going to need to come back to it. And just remember how good God is. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you're not sure that you're saved, please don't hit the double doors in the back until you know for sure that Jesus Christ has saved you from your sin and that you're on your way to heaven if you're not sure, I'd love to sit down with and take the Bible and share with you how you can know for sure that heaven's your home. But for those of us that call ourselves Christians that have been saved or born again, let's praise this week because we have someone worthy of our praise. You know, you might just think that we sing like whatever song comes up the week and just fun to sing. But you think about the sing songs we sung this morning. I'm on the winning side. I don't care what happened to you this week. You've already won and you're on the winning side. I don't care what happened this week, but we have 10,000 reasons to praise God this week. I'm not sure what's going on, but I know that Jesus Christ is worthy of our worship and he's worthy of our praise. Very much I know. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The Lord liveth and blessed be the rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. Some of you want to clap right now. Oh, let's praise like it this week. That's what he expects of us. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.